The Old Pilot's Plane Tales, The 49ers, Part 2. We continue our interview with Captain Nigel Demery, past president of the Hong Kong Aircrew Officers Association. After years of forced contract changes, poor rostering practices and intimidation, the pilots of Cathay Pacific have finally voted overwhelmingly for limited industrial action. So what did the company do to try and offset the likelihood that you were going to finally go on strike? Uh, they were prepared. Good Boy Scouts, be prepared. Um, the I became president in the September uh, 2000, and <laughs> I had some pretty good negotiators. Well, the previous team, actually, I inherited them, and we, I think we got 117 goals to nil in the Labour Department just before Christmas. We, we got everything that we wanted um, on rostering to sort it out. It was an interim deal for, I can't remember, six months, four months, something like that. And we got everything. And management, yeah, they're reasonably smart. They knew that there was trouble brewing and it wasn't going to get any better. Um, and... So they started preparing in the January after Christmas. They started preparing for what would come at the next busy season, which was the summer, and they started getting ready uh, how they were going to deal with it, and they were just going to take us on, simple as that. So you think they were out to bust you? I didn't think that they were... Initially, I didn't think they were out to bust us, but it definitely turned into that. I looked at it as a matter of control. They were the management. This is our airline you're the employees, you're the coolies, you're going to do what we tell you and you're not doing what we're telling you, so we're, we're going to give you a whooping and, you know, thwack you over the head with a, a cane stick and uh, until you uh, get back into line. that's. But actually it turned into, as you say, a, a union buster later on. And basically they knew that if they provoked us enough, we would, most people, we would go on strike. And so they prepared for a strike by the pilots in the summer. Tell me about the 49ers. Who were they and what happened to them? They would term the 49ers because um, 49 pilots got fired on one day on the 9th of July 2001. And, um, you know, I guess 49ers is a bit of a... Um, parallel with, uh, I think some Americans play football of some sort, you know. So it was just rolled off the tongue, the 49ers, and it stuck. Um, actually, 51 pilots were fired in total, um, but it was just 49 on one day, and so they're called the 49ers. So management prepared for a dust-up. We, we had last-minute negotiations throughout the whole of June trying to rectify this, but management would not give us the key stuff, which was the rostering data. So we could say, look, this is how many hours a pilot works in a month. And so there was this difference of opinion. They had the data. I mean, we gave them the best data we could, but they wouldn't give us the precise data. And we were in the Labour Department again, who were acting as mediators, conciliators, whichever, certainly not arbitrators. And um, the talks just broke down, and hey, presto, we deemed the 1st of July as our deadline. We've got to get it sorted, or we're going to take limited industrial action. As it happens, the 1st of July is 
uh, it was the anniversary of when China took um, uh, control of Hong Kong again from the Brits. So it was a national holiday, and we thought actually. First of July is not politically correct day to start start your industrial action, so we delayed it a couple of days. And as it happened, a typhoon, hurricane, whirlwind, whatever you want to call it, rolled through Hong Kong, Typhoon Utor, and so Typhoon Utor actually disrupted the whole operation anyway on the third of July. Management were pretty clever; they uh, then blamed all the disruptions on us. And so um, he, they said, right, we're firing 49. Um, well, we're firing, they didn't say the number, actually. That was a different issue. But uh, we're, we're firing a load of uh, pilots in an effort to resolve the pilot um, dispute. And they assumed we would go on strike. Um, that's what they were planning on. We weren't ready for strike action. To go on strike, you've got to have three months' money for all of your pilots bankrolled, you know, because nobody's going to get paid for the foreseeable future. You've got to have all the resources backed up. We weren't ready for that. We hadn't had a strike vote. We'd had a limited industrial action vote. So we were taking, it was enhanced contract compliance, really, um, a go slow, if you like, um, and but still within the contract. So strike is actually breaking the contract, saying, I'm not going to work. And so management, they can't fire you under the law, um, but if they don't have to pay you either. If you don't go to work, you don't get paid. So to do a strike, you have to do what Scargill and the Fleet Street guys worked, and you have to be prepared to support families for the foreseeable future and, you know, a year. And we weren't ready for that, and they knew it. So they had 23 aircraft on standby, wet-leased aircraft, uh, wet lease, um, flown by foreign crews, um, you know, aeroplanes and crews ready to shift all of our passengers. Um, so they were ready and they were out to bust us. Um, so they fired the 49 guys, expected us to go on strike, but we didn't do that. Interesting. How were those pilots picked? Yeah, they were um, complete cross-section of the pilot community. Uh, there were 23 captains, 28 FOs, yeah, that adds up to 51. But they were targeting the union guys, like myself. Um, I, I was the president, so I was too high profile. In fact, it's reported that the DFO said, okay, are we going to go for the chief negotiator, John Warren, or are we going to go for the president, Nigel Demery? We can't take them both out. So, And they went for John Warren rather than me. So I didn't get fired again for a change. Um, but they took out four of the seven negotiating team. Uh, they took out five of the 20 general committee. So if you look at the proportions, they were targeting uh, the union committee and uh, workers. Um, they'd, they'd started, um, as I say, back six months beforehand, getting a list of people together. They interviewed the crew controllers who were the people that rang pilots up on their days off and said, can you come to work? And so the crew controllers were the interface and they would say, oh, Fred's Fred's difficult to deal with, Bill's difficult to deal with, whatever. Um, they looked at people who'd been taking sick leave. They'd instituted a sick leave program, absence management program, sickness management program, whatever you wish to call it. Um, pilots, by law, aren't allowed to go to work if they can't clear their ears. They might have a simple head cold. You are not allowed to fly an aeroplane by law if you are not fit. It's like you're not allowed to drive a car if you had too many beers, you know, um, or any beers. Um, so 
some guys had, you know, reported sick. They went on the list, and they got a list of about 180. And then I think it was about the uh, 5th of July, after we'd started the industrial action, they just put 20 managers into a, a room. They had 180 personnel files there, and they just went down the list of 180. And they, uh, if somebody, um, they'd say, doesn't matter, Nigel Demery, um, oh, yeah, his uh, crew controller would say, oh, I've had problems with him there. A manager would say, yeah, yeah find him a bit bullshit. Okay, on the list, fired, you know, sort of thing. If somebody said, oh, actually, I found him quite helpful in such and such an area, somebody spoke up, if one of the managers spoke up, and then the guy, but they graded the guys, and basically he took the top 50. A good round number, isn't it? Like the Romans used to do with... Uh, it was a decimation. And you that's know, right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just take 50 and then the rest will go on strike. You know, it's a lesson. So that's how they picked him, really. I mean, that effectively was illegal. There was no true justification uh, under law for firing these guys, were there? Well, very clever. The letter of termination basically said, we've lost confidence in you. And in accordance with your contract, you're getting three months salary and live notice. No reason given. Where they went wrong was um, the two managers, Tony Tyler and Philip Chen, went and did a press conference. And um, they basically said, these guys can't be trusted. You know, they're, they're disruptive and what have you. And that's, you know, this is a way to resolve the pilot's dispute. And they put that, and they put their press notice on their website. And it stayed there for, I think it was eight years, somewhere in the depths of it. And hey, presto, when we were in court, the management was saying, no, 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 we just lost confidence in them and fired them in accordance with the contract. And we said, no, it's for a reason. Look, it's on your website today saying that these guys were disruptive and what have you. Therefore, if, they, if there was a reason, contractually, you should have given them a discipline and grievance procedure, i.e. a hearing where they should... Uh, be able to defend themselves in principles of natural justice. Not one guy went through that procedure, uh, discipline and grievance procedure. So management were trying to twist your arm to force you to go on strike when you weren't really prepared for it. Did that work? No. The, uh, I had a committee of 20 guys and... <laughs> They were clever blokes, far too smart for that. No, we didn't do that. We weren't going to... You only, uh, you have to fight the battles you can win, not the ones that you're definitely going to lose. So no, we just carried on doing what we were doing, but we chose to support the 49ers. And um, the union came together pretty well initially. I mean, I think I've told you before, but on that first night, on the 9th of July, we went over to... Uh, a meeting in a place called Discovery Bay on Lantau Island. And there must have been 300 pilots and their wives because the majority lived out there. And the room was steaming with emotion and anger and all the other stuff. And a lot of the guys that had been sacked were standing in the room as well. And uh, if I, you know, as a president, I could have just said, right, I'm convening an emergency meeting now. Let's have a strike vote. I'd have got a strike vote just like that. But that was very dull. So no, it didn't work, Nick. So what were you able to do for these poor guys, these 49ers who had been sacked? Yeah, well, we said we before the limited industrial action vote, we'd said, look, there are going to be victims and we will support you. You will get supported. 
And, um, you know, I did a back of the fag packet type mass in a meeting. I said, look, you know, if they fire this and this is how much you're going to have to pay. So we were psychologically prepared for victims. And we now had 50 victims, 51. Um, and so we'd already decided we'll give them the big four, which is housing, food, schooling and medical. So these guys needed that to continue to live their lives. Not all of them were in Hong Kong. You know, we had guys in Canada, quite a lot of guys in Canada, considering the number of um, Canadian pilots percentage-wise. A lot of guys in Canada, uh, just a couple in um, uh, States and uh, about a dozen in Australia, I think, and um, a similar sort of number in the UK. So not everyone needed housing or schooling because it's provided in their home countries, perhaps, but they needed money. And basically, the union wage, uh, union contribution at the time was 1% uh, normal dues, and we upped that to 5%, I an extra 4%. So people were now paying 1 20th of their salary into the union to give us the cash. And that meant that we could give people about 50% of their previous wage to live on, and um, that was all, you know, I now had a pool of 50 guys to, because our committee of 20 couldn't run this, you know, so, I, but I actually had 50 guys who now had time on their hands. So they, the 49 is self-administered, you know, they set up their own subcommittee, they ran the finances, they did everything themselves. Uh, how did the rest of the Cathay Pilot workforce react to this? It was obviously quite a burden for some of them to have to commit that amount of uh, money. Yeah, yeah, but they were angry, Nick. They were angry, um, and so a lot of people were just more than happy to pay the money. You know, their best buddies um, had been sacked. You know, their, their wives uh, at home, you know, would say, Do you know, Jill hasn't got any food to feed the kids tonight, you know. So the, the union responded really well, uh, by and large. Nonetheless, it wasn't all hunky-dory. Um, a lot of people had gone to Hong Kong just for the money. And um, surprisingly, uh, it's it foreign to me, but they were surprisingly tight. 400 guys left the union out of 1,350 over the next couple of years. And we called them the quitters. And nobody likes a quitter. Um, but the good thing was a lot more... Um, people joined the union. All the young lads that had just arrived, that was a big impetus for them to join the union because they, cracky, is this what really goes on? I better get involved. And so actually, I, to be honest, I was very proud of how the union as a whole reacted because it went on for years, years. What was the response of the other pilot groups worldwide and the International Federation of Airline Pilots Associations? We, we'd had a lot of support prior to this. It, it started in 95, 96, uh, when John Warren was president. He got more focused on operating internationally. He had a wider perspective of the whole thing. So he, he'd got... Um, a lot of we'd before this even started, we got a lot of help from Ifalpa, the industrial uh, committee there, and what have you. 
they'd started a thing called the One World Cockpit Crew Coalition because, uh, you know, the airlines were forming their alliances like Sky Team, Star Alliance, One World. Cathay was part of One World. So the pilot groups within One World had got together and they were well organized. Um, so we were prepared. Uh, the uh, US guys, uh, they taught us all about FAN's Family Awareness Network System. In other words, if you're going to have an industrial action, you've got to get the families on board. Otherwise, the wife, the last thing she says to her husband before he goes out to work is, don't get fired today, you know, I need food on the table. So you've got to get the families involved. So we had a very embryo but active uh, family awareness network system. So we'd had a lot of support previously, and afterwards, it was very good. You know, all of these people gave us so much advice. The Germans were great, Veronica and Cockpit, because they they were well organized, as you expect Germans to be. Um, and uh, American Airlines, APA, uh, they gave us a lot of help as well, even though they're not, I don't know where they are now, but they weren't any Falper then, but they were well, they gave us uh, access to their communications facilities, and we were doing. Uh, video broadcast and stuff which was in 2000 was actually quite advanced at the time so we got a lot of help we'll leave the interview there and resume the final part of the story a mixture of sadness and victory next week music by bensounds.com